Father, thank you for church, and thank you for this message. Pray you'd help everybody be attentive. There's a lot, a lot of scripture to go through, a lot of things to uh, try to make sense out of and understand. I pray you'd help everybody listen, Lord, help everybody be attentive, help everybody to be open. Maybe there's something here they've never heard before. Maybe they've been taught differently. But Lord, I ask that you'd help us all to be able to look at the Bible and, and then study it out for ourselves and, and see if, if those things are true. We love you, Lord, so much. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, we come to this very famous story in the Bible, uh, you know, the story of the Tower of Babel. Many of us learned about the Tower of Babel as children, and this is a very famous story. And tonight's sermon is going to be a little different. My wife laughs at me because I say that every sermon. Every sermon I say, oh, it's going to be a little different. But it is going to be a little different. I'm a, I want to preach on the Tower of Babel, but I have something else I want to, to, to tie into that. So, uh, um, the title of the sermon for, this, for tonight, which I don't really like the title of the sermon, but I couldn't think of anything better. So, it's this. The Tower of Babel and the New World Order. The Tower of Babel and the New World Order. In the old, you know, this morning we preached on the, the sin of denominations or what's wrong with denominations. And I was talking about how uh, mankind, human beings, have this, just this desire to be united. And that's the, the, the problem, you know, I'm not going to re-preach it. I preached a whole sermon on it this morning. The problem with denominations is that they want to unite themselves under one authority and have some leader of a denomination like uh, a president or a prophet or a pope uh, be the head of their church instead of Jesus Christ. But, but as human beings, we have this desire to want to be uh, united and connected. And that's really what we're seeing here in the Tower of Babel is that mankind, the Bible says it was of one language and of one speech and they all came together. But the thing is that that spirit, even though you know we saw that as we read it, that God confounded their languages and, and He spread them about, that spirit of the Tower of Babel has not left mankind. And one day that spirit of the Tower of Babel is going to come back in what is you know referred to as I don't know, conspiracy theorists, I guess, as the new world order. But see, the Bible says, you know, people say, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. No, that's Bible. The Bible says that one day there's going to come a one world government and a one world religion. And, and, and this all ties in together. So we're just going to have a, a little bit of a Bible study and really look at this subject. And I, I just want you to pay, pay attention, focus, and just move with me quickly because we're going to be looking at a lot of different uh, passages. First, let's go ahead and look at the story of the Tower of Babel. Let, let's look at the verse again. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly that they, they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So we see here the story of, of, of uh, the Tower of Babel. Up to this point, you know, we, we've gone through the, the creation story. We've gone through Adam and Eve. We've gone through Cain and Abel. We've gone through uh, all those different things and the different lineages. And we came to the flood where God destroyed the entire earth. And, and Noah came off the ark. And, and we see there a, a whole chapter in chapter number 10 of a lineage of all the people, all the the descendants of Noah, and we come to chapter number 11, and there's an entire population on earth, the Bible says they're all united, and they all have one language, they all speak one language, they're all united, and they wanted to build a city, the Bible says, and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. God saw what they were doing, and the Bible says He came down and He confounded, He confused their languages. And he made them all speak different languages so that they could not understand each other, so that they could not build. 
And you know, this is a, a I love the, the story of the Tower of Babel. I love to just think about what happened. You know, when I was a kid and I, people would tell me the story of the Tower of Babel and they'd preach through it. I, I, my imagination was just wrong. I just imagine these people all together and they, they're getting together and saying, we're going to build this city and we're going to uh, uh, we're, we're gonna do this great thing. We're going to build this tower. And I just imagine, you know, the Bible says that they had, um, they, they, they had bricks and they had mortar and they had slime and they had all these different building materials. And I, this, this is how I envision it. I just envision, you know, there's just some guy working and he's got like a piece of wood and he's trying to you know, maybe put it up and he's holding it up and, he, and, and you know they're all working together and progress is going good and the finances are there and they're, they're building this and all of a sudden just out of nowhere one guy he looks at another guy and he says hey hey can you pass me that hammer and the guy looks at him and says get off this roof feet and the guy what he says hey can you can you pass me that hammer and, and maybe another person looks at him and says, Yo no te entiendo. ¿Qué dices? And, 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 he, and he's been maybe confused. I mean, can you imagine this for the first time? One man is hearing another man speak another language. And, and maybe he, he's a little confused. And he says, hey buddy, what, what, what's wrong with these people? I mean, what, what are they saying? And, and maybe the guy looks at him and says, I, I have some of these things right now. Maybe, maybe the guy looks at him and says, Was hast du gesagt? You know, speaking German. Maybe, maybe he listens to somebody else speak and he says, uh, and, and he says, man, what are these people saying? And somebody says, Nani o nita no. Maybe somebody says, Nini wa wa ni kushat. And they're talking to each other and they're listening to each other and they're saying, and, and this is what happened. The Bible says that the guys who spoke English found each other. You know, and they're looking for each other. And the guys who spoke German, you know, they found, I understand those weren't the languages probably over there. Those languages have developed through time. The, the people that knew each other and that could understand each other, the Bible says that they got together because obviously they spoke the same language. So God, the Bible says, He scattered and He, and he set them out and they weren't able to build because they couldn't understand each other. Does that make sense? That's what happened at the Tower of Babel. We can learn a few things from that, you know. God created languages. And when God created languages, you know, a lot of people, they... they they try to talk bad about our King James Bible, and they say, well, can God translate? Well, look, God can translate the Word of God. God created languages. Of course He can. But um, in the Tower of Babel, I want to get into this prophecy stuff, but let me just give you a few things about the, the, the Tower of Babel. We see the picture of mankind trying to work themselves their way to heaven. We see the picture of mankind trying to work themselves to heaven. Look at verse 14 again. And it, Genesis eleven fourteen. Or I'm sorry, Genesis eleven four. And they said, go to... Let us build a city and a tower, and look what it says, whose top may reach unto heaven. So they were trying to build a building that would get them to heaven. Now you say, well, that's impossible. Well, of course that's impossible. But maybe they didn't know that. You know, I've heard people say, oh, the people in the Tower of Babel, they were these geniuses and they could have done it. You know, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but their intention was there. They were trying to build a tower that would get them to heaven. And, you know, we might look at that and say that's silly. We might look at that and say that's wrong. But today, there are millions of people in this world who are trying to work and build something in order to get themselves to heaven. All over the country, there are people who are trying to repent of their sins. All over the country, there are people who are confessing their sins to a man. All over the country, there are people who are doing, uh, uh, you know, getting baptized and doing uh, catechism and, and performing good works and giving money and doing to, trying to build a good life and do good works. And you say, well, it's silly that they would build a tower to try to go to heaven. But let me tell you something, it's silly that someone would try to build a good life to get themselves to heaven. The Bible says that salvation is by faith and not by works. And that is the fight for salvation. You either believe that salvation is by faith or you believe it's by works. Period. People say there's thousands of religions. You only believe two ways. By faith or by works. 
You're either trying to work your way to heaven, you're either trying to build your way to heaven, you're either trying to build a tower to get you to heaven, or you're just accepting Christ as your personal Savior. So we see that, that uh, picture there of works and building versus salvation. Let's look at some sins of the Tower of Babel quickly. Uh, they were filled with pride. Look at verse 3, Genesis 11, 3. And they said one to another, go to. Let us, look what it says, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city, and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now, just look at those verses. What do you see just recurring over and over? You see this, these words, let us, 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 we, us. They were just filled with their own pride and own arrogancy. The sin of the Tower of Babel was that they were just filled with pride. And they were just trying to build a name for themselves and trying to build a society for themselves. What was the second sin of the Tower of Babel? They were disobedient. You don't have to turn there, I'll read these verses for you, but Genesis 1.28, God said to Adam and Eve, and God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the face of the earth. So God told them to be fruitful, God told them to multiply, God told them to replenish the entire earth. He didn't tell them to replenish the city, He didn't tell them to replace, replenish the country, He said replenish the earth, He said subdue it, referring to the earth, He said subdue the entire earth. He said every fish of the sea, every fowl of the air. Every living thing is yours. God gave him the entire earth and he wanted them to replenish the earth. Genesis 9.1, when Noah came off the ark, uh, God said a very similar thing. He said, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Now see, they did not want to go and do what God told them to do. They did not want to go and replenish the earth. They did not want to go and subdue the earth. If you look at Genesis 11.4, they said, And they said, Go to, let us build us a city, and a tower whose top may reach into heaven, and let us make us a name. And here's what they say, Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So God told them, Go into the world, go replenish the world, Go, you know, subdue it and go get every living creature and it's all for you. And they said, No, 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 let's build a city lest we be scattered. Like God said. You know, that reminds me of Christianity today. Today, God looks at Christians and He says, Go, preach the gospel, and go into all the world, and go. And, and He tells them to go into all the world. And Christians today have this Tower of Babel mentality. And say, oh, no, 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 we just want to stay right here. You know, let, let's build a nice church building, or let's build a nice building. So they were disobeying God. God told them to go and replenish the earth. And they said, no, 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 lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So they were disobedient. You know, and, and think about this. Maybe they were also wanting to build a tower because maybe they were afraid that maybe one day God would judge them again with a flood. You know, I'm sure when the flood came the first time, many people were running for the highest ground. You know, maybe they were thinking, if there was a tower that reached to heaven, then, then God, you know, we can do whatever we want. God can't judge us. God can't destroy us. Because, you know, in their minds, maybe they're thinking, He judged us with a flood, but if He tries to flood us again, we'll just go in our tower. You know, so they were rebellious. They were disobedient. And not only that, they had no limit. Look at verse 6. Genesis eleven six. 6. It says, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. The Lord said, All the people, they're one. And they have all one language. And they begin to do. And now, here's what God says, And now nothing will be restrained from them. And they, which they have imagined to do. So God says, Look, these people have no limit. They're just going to do whatever they want. And God says, We've got to put a stop to this. 
You know, when they thought that they could get themselves to heaven, when they thought they could build a building to get them to heaven, he said nothing can stop them. Anything they imagined they're going to do. And look, let me tell you something. If God cannot control you, because God said, if we, if we let them build this tower, we cannot control them. They're just going to do whatever they want. And if God cannot control you, then you're just out of control. And in your personal life, if God can't tell you what to do and you obey, then your life is just out of control. And, and God wasn't for that at the Tower of Babel. So, so, we, so do, you, do you understand the story of the Tower of Babel now? We understand what was wrong with it, what were the sins. Now one day there is coming a new world order I talked about. And this new world order, this, this one world government that is to come, is coming with the spirit of the Tower of Babel. Look at, look at Genesis 11.4 again. And this is really the main, you know, the, the Tower of Babel story is good. Um, but I want to get into this stuff. Because the Tower of Babel is like a, for, it's, it's a foreshadow of things that are going to come. And look at each, Genesis 11.4. Look what it says. Look what the Bible says. And they said, go to, go to let us build us a, and look what it says, city. And a tower. So they said they want to build a city, and they want to build a tower. Now the city, well let's just talk about the tower. The tower represents their religion. Because you see what it says, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto the heavens. So the tower represents their religion. Look at the rest of the verse. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. The, the tower represents a religion, the city represents a government. Do you see that? The city was their government. And they said, let's build a city, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. But they said, let's build a tower. That was their religion. Because the purpose of the tower was whose top may reach unto heaven. You see that? So they wanted a one world government, a city. But they also wanted a one world religion, a tower. Do you see that? Now go with me just... And we're going, to be, we're going to be traveling all over the Bible, so let's try to move quickly, because there's just so much information that it can't be put into one sermon. But go with me to Revelation chapter number 6, and look at verse 1. Revelation chapter number 6, and look at verse 1. Because in the Tower of Babel, they were trying to build a city for the population of the entire earth. They were trying to build a government for the population of the entire earth. And even though one day God confounded their languages, and even though one day God stopped the building of the Tower of Babel, the building of that city has not stopped. The building of that city that will be for the entire world has not stopped. Look at Revelation chapter number 6, look, and look at verse 1. The Bible says, And I saw, when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he... Now, the, the he here is referring to the Antichrist. We'll see this in a second. Referring to the beast. It says, And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth, look what it says, conquering and to conquer. The Bible says that one day there is going to come a man who is going, and it's, it's, it's in prophecy. Jesus Christ himself opened the seal that allowed this to happen. This man is going to come. This Antichrist is going to come. And the Bible says he's going to come forth conquering and to conquer. Now you've got to keep something in mind about prophecy. Mainstream prophecy is usually wrong. And here's why. God, you know, things that you hear from mainstream are usually going to be wrong because Satan doesn't want you to know what's coming. If you listen to most people, most people have the belief, and I used to have the belief, that the Antichrist was going to 
uh, rule and reign upon the earth. He was going to unite the world. And most people say he's going to do it through peace. Well, that's a lie. He's not going to do it through peace. Now, most people think that, so they're, they're waiting for some, you know, Gandhi to, like, unite all the worlds together. That's what most Christians are looking for. But it's very clear from the Bible, if you look at verse uh, 2 in Revelation chapter number 6, the Bible says he went forth conquering and to conquer. Do you see that? So he's going to conquer the world. Go with me to Revelation 13. Revelation 13, and look at verse 1. He, he builds first the city. He builds first this one world government. I want to show it to you. Because there's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of people don't believe that there is a one, one world government coming. They don't believe that, that the Bible really teaches that. But let's look at it. Revelation 13, look at verse 1. The Bible says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast. Now that, that beast is referring to the Antichrist. And I wish I had the time to really develop this and show you all different things. But I just don't because there's so much scripture. And it's something, you know, you're just going to have to study it on yourself. The Bible says, And I saw a beast. Rise up out of the sea, having seven horns, seven heads and ten horns. Now the beast is a man, a human being. This seven horns or seven heads and ten, ten horns is all, uh, you know, just illustration. It's just it, they, they, it all has meanings. Okay, so he's not literally have you know seven heads and ten horns. And, and again, the, the description of the beast himself is a sermon in and of itself. But it says there were seven heads and seven horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. And his feet were as the feet of a bear. And his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon... Now just real quickly, keep your finger there in Revelation 13, but go with me to Revelation 20, verse 20. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 20. Because I want to show you. The Bible says, And the dragon gave him his power. So we got to answer the question. Who is this dragon? I just want to show you that. Look at Revelation 20, 20. The Bible says in Revelation chapter number 20 and verse 2. I'm sorry. I told you 20, but there is no 20 in Revelation 20. Revelation 20 and verse 2. The Bible says, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So, Revelation 22 gives us all the names of Satan. The dragon, the old serpent. You remember in, in, in the Garden of Eden, he was a serpent. The devil, and Satan. So, those are all the names of, of Satan there in that verse. So, go back to Revelation uh, 13. But So, we know who the dragon is. It's Satan. Look at verse 2 again. The latter part. It says, And the dragon, Satan... Gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So the beast was given power. The beast was given a seat. The beast was given great authority by the dragon. Do you see that? By Satan. Look at verse... Actually, just drop down real quick to, to verse 4. Look at verse 4 in Revelation 13. Because I'm trying to show you that this... This beast, this Antichrist, unites the world through conquering. He unites the world because the dragon, the, the devil, gives him his power. But notice he also gives him his seat, and he gives him great authority. So he's a, a ruler, because he's given him authority. Do you see that? Look at Revelation 13.4. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? And look what it says, the last phrase of that verse. Who is able to make war with him? 
So see, there is some truth to the fact that he's going, there's going to be peace when the Antichrist comes, but he's not going to unite the world through peace. He's going to unite the world, the world through war. He's going to go out to conquer, conquering and to conquer, and he's going to be able to conquer the entire world because Satan himself gave him his power. Satan himself gave him his seat. Satan himself gave him his authority. But when he goes out and he conquers the whole world, once the whole entire world is under his rule in a one world government, then there will be peace upon the earth. Now, not for Christians, and I'll show you that in a second, but there will be peace upon the earth. Here's why. Because no one will be able to war against Him. No country will be able to fight against Him. It says, who is able to make war with Him? Drop down to verse number 7, Revelation 13, 7. Look what it says. And it was given unto Him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them. And power was given Him, look what it says, it's, it's referring to the Antichrist, referring to the beast, Power was given to the Antichrist. Power was given to the beast. Power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So the Antichrist, the beast, according to the Bible, he has power over all kindreds, over all tongues, and over all nations. He is ruling the world. Do you see that? He's the leader of the world. Go back to verse 3. We skipped verse 3. Look at Revelation 13, 3. And I saw one of his heads, as it were wounded to death. Now you got to keep in mind, many you know people think that the Book of Revelation just jumps around, and it really doesn't. If you read the the Bible, always you know unless God specifically tells you He's doing something, it, it's in its context. He He tells you things in story format, and really Revelation thirteen is telling us what's going to happen. So we saw there very clearly from the Bible that He was in control of the entire world. Do you see that? He built a city. Now he's going to get ready to build a tower. Look at, look at verse 3. And I saw one of his heads, as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. Now this is interesting. And, and, and again, I, I wish I had the time to develop it, but I don't. I, you know, I, I could preach for weeks on, on the subject of this. But the Bible says that the Antichrist had a deadly wound. And the Bible says he was wounded to death. He had a deadly wound that was healed. And when the wound was healed, the world wondered after the beast. Look at verse uh, 12 in Revelation 13. Look at verse 12. And he exercises all power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. And look at what the last part. The first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Look at verse 14 in Revelation 13. So I'm just, you know, we're going to go back and explain these other verses, but I just want you to see that the Bible makes this reference, whose deadly wound was healed, in verse 12. Look at verse 14, Revelation 13, 14. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by sword, and did live. Now, when the Bible talks, you know, the Bible uses these words like sword, being wounded, and, you know, it doesn't, necessarily mean that he's going to be wounded by a sword. It more than likely just means that he's going to be wounded in some sort of like a military strike or something where someone's against him. You know, the Bible many times uses the sword. In the Old Testament, God has prophets prophesy, and they'll prophesy that God is going to bring the sword. You know, and he's going to bring the sword to destroy people. So, but you've got to keep this in mind. See this. He already rules the world. He already has been given great power and authority. He already uh, has dominion and he already uh, rules and has power over all kindreds and tongues and nations. But after he has all that power, then the Bible says that he was wounded to the, to the death. He was wounded to death, but he was healed from the wound. What is this, all this talking about? 
the and, and again, there's so many other verses I could I could go to, but I, I just don't have the time to. But according to the Bible, the Antichrist is going to be wounded. And you got to keep in mind, the anti his name is Antichrist, so he's pretending to be the Christ. If you remember, we read there in Revelation six, he came in a white horse. Well, so someone else is going to come in a white horse one day, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is going to, but everything about the Antichrist is 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 uh, copying Jesus Christ. So what's going to happen to this political leader is that he's going to receive a wound. Later on we'll see, different passages tell you that he received a wound to the head. He's going to receive a wound, and I believe that he's going to die, he's going to be pronounced dead, and I believe that just like Jesus Christ, three days later he's going to be resurrected. And he is going, and, and, and you see there in verse uh, number 3, Revelation 13, 3, look at the last, the last part of Revelation 13. And the world wandered after the beast. So, well, let's just read the whole verse. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. So the whole entire world knows we have this one political leader, and this one political leader is wounded to death, and the whole world thinks he's dead, and then he's healed from that, he comes back from that, and the whole world wondered at it. The whole world is amazed by it. Look at verse 4, Revelation 13, 4. Immediately after his wound was healed, look at verse 4. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, the Antichrist, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it, well, let's stop there because then we get into a different subject. But I, I want you to understand this. The, there's going to be a political leader who unites the world through conquering and conquest and war. After he has built the city. Remember in, in the Tower of Babel, they said, let us build a city. After he has built this one world government, then the next plan is to build a tower. So now he's got to bring the one world government into one world religion. Well, the one world religion is going to worship him. So he's going to receive a deadly wound, he's going to die, and he's going to be resurrected. Now here's the thing, you say, is he actually going to resurrect? I, I, don't, I, I don't have the time to, to go into it, and, to, and Thessalonians and all these different things, but I'll just give you uh, my information, I'll just tell you what I believe, if you want to question me about it later, I can, I can show you the scriptures and, and we can go through it, but I just don't have time to develop it right now. But I believe that he's going to die, the, the actual man, the Antichrist, is going to die. And the, the person who's going to be resurrected is not going to be the Antichrist. It's going to be Satan himself. Who's going to dwell his body. Now, obviously we know about, you know, demons possessing a human body. And all over in the New Testament, you read about Jesus Christ casting out demons from bodies, and those demons are controlling. Now you say, well, why, are those, why do you believe that? Well, in, in Thessalonians it teaches that, and, and you've got to look at it all in context, and, and I can go through that. I don't have that. I mean, a whole sermon could be preached out of Thessalonians. But not only that, the, the Bible refers to the Antichrist as the son of perdition. Okay? There are only two people in the entire Bible who are referred to as the son of perdition. And, here, and here's who they are. The Antichrist and Judas Iscariot. Okay? The Antichrist is referred to as the son of perdition. Judas Iscariot is referred to as the son of perdition. The only thing that those two people have in common is this. They were both demon-possessed by Satan himself. Satan himself has never possessed any other human being. All the other demons will 
go into people and will, and, and is what we know as, as someone being demon possessed. But Satan, Lucifer, the dragon, the serpent himself, has never possessed a human body other than Judas Iscariot when the Bible makes it clear that Satan entered into him when he went to, de- to, to deny, you know, to, to betray Jesus Christ. And then, I believe the Bible makes it clear, and I don't have time to develop it, that the dragon himself will take that dead corpse of that Antichrist when he dies, the human being dies, but the, anti- but the Antichrist who comes back from the resurrection is just the body where Satan, the dragon is controlling it. And that's why he's referred to as the son of perdition. The only two people who have ever been demon-possessed. And uh, So look at verse 4 again. They, notice, they worship the dragon which gave power to the beast, and they worship the beast. So when they worship the beast, they worship the dragon at the same time. Why? Because the dragon is in the beast. Saying, who is it like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Look at verse 5. And there was given... Well, we read these verses... Um, well, you need to see this. Verse 6, And he opened his mouth and blasphemed against God and blasphemed his name. So now the beast is blaspheming God. How is he blaspheming God? Well, he's saying that he is God. He's allowing people to worship him. And, and, he's, and by the way, he's now telling people, Jesus Christ was a lie. The Bible is a lie. And he's saying, I am the Messiah. I am the true Jesus. I am the true Christ. You know, and of course the Jews, they rejected Christ as the Messiah. They're waiting for the Messiah, so they're just going to eat this up. They're just going to say, yeah, this is, the, this is, this is it. You know, the, the Islam is waiting for their seventh prophet or whatever. And all the religions of the world are waiting for their, you know, the Christianity's Messiah has already came, has already died, and we're just waiting for him to take us back to heaven. All the other religions of the world are still waiting for some, some, some figure to come, and they're all just going to line up perfectly to this Antichrist. Look at verse 7, Revelation 13:7. Now, you've got to understand this. And just look at the Bible and let the Bible teach you. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. So now this beast, now this Antichrist, who not only rules the world as a political leader, but is also being worshipped as God. The Bible says that it was given to him to make war with the saints. Who are the saints? Those are Christians. Do a Bible study of the saints, and the saints are Christians. The saints are believers. You cannot get away from that. Just do a word search. Saints in the Bible, and those are all Christians. It's not some, you know, picture of somebody we put on a wall and we pray to. That, that's a, no, every believer is a saint, according to the Bible. So I would say, it was given to him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them, and his tabernacle, and them that dwell in, he- and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm reading, I messed up doing it. It was given unto him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Look at verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are now written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So according to the Bible, the entire world worships the beast, worships the, uh, the Antichrist, except for, look at the, last, the, the second part of that verse, whose names are not written in the book of life. So, everybody worships the beast whose names are not written in the book of life. Now, whose names are written in the book of life? Saints. Whose names are written in the book of life? Christians. When you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, your name is not blotted out from the book of life. God has your name in the book of life. So, the Bible says, everybody whose name is not in the book of life worships the beast. What does that mean? All Christians are not worshiping the beast. That's why he goes to make war with the beast. You see that? Is that clear? Everybody worships Him, except Christians. Go to Matthew 24. Keep keep your finger in Revelation 13, because we're going to be coming back. But go to Matthew 24. And let me show you something. 
Now you may be wondering, if you listen to mainstream Christianity, the average Christian, the average Baptist, has listened to a man, and, and, I, and he didn't come up with this, but you know, but, but listen to men like, uh, or, or read books like Left Behind. And the average Christian, here's what the average Christian believes, is that we're just waiting for Jesus Christ to rapture us up to heaven. We're, one of these days, you know, we're going to hear a trumpet and we're going to be raptured up, and, and here's what the average Christian believes. And good people, people I love and people I care for, but they, they believe that, that Christians are not going to go through the tribulation. They believe that we're going to get raptured up before we go into the tribulation. Now, let, now, now we saw in Revelation 13 that it was given to him to make war with the saints. Did you see that? So let's go to Matthew chapter number 24 because we've got to compare scripture with scripture. And, let, and let's just look at what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 24, look at verse 15. Matthew 24, verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation. And keep that word in mind because we're going to come back to that. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation. Spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Now look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken by Daniel the prophet, at that point, he says, when you see him, and he's standing in the holy place, the abomination of desolation, when you see the abomination of desolation, standing, stand in the holy place, the Bible says, let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, let him which is in the housetop not come down to take things out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes, and woe unto him that are with child, and unto them that give suck in those days, but pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then, look what it says, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, nor ever shall be. Look at verse 22. And except those days should be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, and so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now the elect is referring to Christianity. Again, I don't have time to, to go into that. That's a whole different controversy in itself. But you do a, a word study, word elect, always referring to Christianity. And it says, if it were possible, it would deceive the elect. Now, it can't deceive the elect. Because remember, who did not worship the beast? Those who had their name written in the book of life. Look at verse 25. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chamber, believe it not. Verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So the Bible says that the, the way you see lightning come, that fast, and how it just lights up the sky, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus Christ is warning them. He's saying, hey look, if somebody tells you, hey Jesus Christ is over here in this chamber, hey Jesus Christ is over in the desert, He says, hey don't, don't believe them, don't go look at it, because I'm telling you something, He said, when the Son of Man comes back to the earth, it's going to be like when lightning lights up the sky, it's going to be fast, and, and you're going to see it. Look at verse 28. For wherefore the carcasses, there will the eagles be gathered together. And that's a, a biblical reference, you can study that out in Revelation also. But look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Do you see that? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, 
And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He shall send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now verse 31 lets us know that this is a rapture because He says, And He shall send His angels with great sound of a trumpet. So there's going to be a trumpet, the angels are going to go out, and they shall gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So when, according to the Bible, when does the rapture happen? Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now wait a minute. I thought the, I thought the tribulation was, uh, was after the rapture. I thought we were raptured and then it was the tribulation. You know, everybody else tells me that we're not going to go through it. Well, according to Matthew 24, it's immediately after the tribulation. Now see, people have this misunderstanding. They think that the tribulation... Because people say, we're not going to go through the tribulation because God will not pour out His wrath... On Christians, but who told you that that's what the tribulation is? If you do a word study, because you've got to study the Bible, you've got to compare Scripture with Scripture. If you study the word tribulation, I promise you, you look it up, look every reference to tribulation, and it's, refer, it's always referring to persecution, and you know, 90%, 99% of the time, it's referring to Christians being persecuted. Paul many times talks about how he's gone through tribulations, and through afflictions, and through heartache. And tribulation, let me tell you something, it's not God's wrath being poured upon the earth. Tribulation is persecution of the saints. Who's doing the persecution? Well, we saw in Revelation 13 that it was given power unto the beast to make war with the saints. You see that? That's clear from the Scriptures. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened. See, Jesus Christ saying, when they tell you that Jesus is in the desert, when they tell you that He's in the, sea, in the chamber, don't go there. Because He's like, like lightning lights up the sky, you're going to see it. Because He tells them, when, when, when the sun is darkened, do you think you're going to notice if one day the sun is just darkened? And the moon should not give her light. Do you think you would notice if the, if the moon just went away? And the stars shall fall from heaven. Do you think we would notice if the stars from heaven just started falling? And the powers of the heavens shall be taken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man. People say, there's no sign of the Son of Man coming. Not according to Matthew 24. He just said the sun was going to be darkened. He just said the moon was going to be darkened. He said the stars were going to fall. And he says very clearly, and then shall the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds and, uh, of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Go back to Revelation 13. Let's compare Matthew 24 with Revelation 13. See, the tribulation happens before the rapture. Because the tribulation, people, people misunderstand the tribulation. They, think, they say, well, God's not going to pour his wrath. God didn't pour out his wrath. The beast is persecuting. That's why he says when you see the, uh, the, the abomination of desolation in the holy place, he said, hey, just don't even go back home. Just forget about your coat. Just run to the hills. Just run to the mountains. Because he said it's, it's going to be great tribulation. They're going to be... Because at that point, the abomination of desolation, that is referring to when uh, the Antichrist is declared God. We're going to see that in a second. And, the, and when you see the abomination of desolation, he said that's when the tribulation is going to start. Not the pouring of God's wrath, but the persecution of the saints. And then after the tribulation, when, when God is fed up with the world killing His children, 
Then the Bible says that Jesus Christ comes to earth, raptures his church, and you know the rest is history. Where you can other subjects. Look at look at Revelation thirteen verse nine. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Look at verse 11. And I beheld another beast. Now the first beast was the Antichrist. This is another beast. This other beast is, refer, is referred to in other passages as the false prophet. It says, and I beheld another beast. And remember in the context of Revelation 13, the beast was just wounded, the beast just resurrected, okay? And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him. So he had all the power that the first beast has, the Antichrist. But look what he, what he does. And causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. So the purpose of the second beast is to cause the earth to worship the first beast. Do you see that? Whose deadly wound was healed. So the first beast, deadly wound was healed. The second beast, referred to as the false prophet. He has a religious title of a false prophet because he's a religious leader. And he is like the leader of this one world religion who is causing the entire earth to worship the Antichrist. Look at verse 13. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So he's performing miracles, this second beast, this false prophet. Performing miracles, fires coming down from heaven, in the sight of all men. People are seeing this. I want you to understand this. There's another beast. This beast is referred to other places in the Bible as a false prophet. He's a religious leader. He is the one who's pushing the movement and declaring the beast, the Antichrist, more than just a political leader, he's declaring him God. Look at verse 14. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do on the side of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast. Now, try to follow along with me. He's deceiving them, and he's causing them to worship, and, he, and this is the, the, the idea of the second beast. He said, hey, you guys should make an image to the beast, which had the wounds by the sword and did live. He said, hey, that beast, that, false, that, that antichrist, that man who died, who was given a, a, a wound and, and he lives, let's make an image to him. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. So they build, they erect this image. And the, the, the false prophet has power to give life unto the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Do you see that? So he has them erect an image. He gives power to the image, and this image, this statue of the beast, is able to speak. And the Bible says, anybody who would not worship the image, they were killed. They make an image, and force everyone to worship that image. Now let's go back, just real quickly, to Matthew, well don't go back, actually go to Daniel chapter 11. In the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 11. And I'll read for you Matthew 24.15. We were just there. Matthew 24.15 says this. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. So it says, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea. So he sa- and, and he says, you know, flee into the mountains. Let them which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of the house. So he says, when you see the abomination of desolation, then don't go back home. Where, where, where is the abomination of desolation going to be? In the holy place. 
And he said it was spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So let's go to Daniel chapter 11. In Daniel chapter 11, look at verse 31. I'm doing this quickly because i got so many passages to, to show you. But look, look at Daniel chapter 11 and look at verse 21. Now, most people in Christianity believe that the abomination of desolation is the Antichrist. Okay? And I'm going to show you why that's, that's not true. Look at Daniel chapter 11, look at verse 31. Are you there? Daniel eleven thirty-one. 31. The Bible says, An arm shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall, I want you to take notice of this word, place the abomination that maketh desolate. According to Daniel chapter number 11 and verse 31, the Bible says that when they defiled and they polluted the sanctuary, and when they took away the daily sacrifice, they placed the abomination that maketh desolate. Did you see that? Go to Daniel chapter number 12 and look at verse 11. Daniel chapter number 12 and look at verse 11. Most people believe the abomination of desolation is the Antichrist. Matthew 24 says, when you see the abomination of desolation, stand in the holy place. So he's saying, when you see the Antichrist, stand in the holy place, that's when Matthew 24, 15 is going to start. But according to Daniel 11, 31, the Bible says that the abomination that maketh desolate was placed there. Did you see that? Look at Daniel 12, 11. And from that time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate, look what it says, set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. According to Daniel 11.31 and Daniel 12.11, the Bible says that Daniel 11.31, that the abomination that maketh desolate was placed, they shall place it. Daniel 12.11 says that it was set up. Does it sound like they're talking about a person? No. They're talking about what? Well, let me tell you what they're talking about. They're talking about the image in Revelation 13. Remember the second beast, the false prophet, came back and he said, Hey, that politician that had a deadly wound and died and was resurrected, and that's, that's not just a man, that is God. And he says, let's make an image to worship that man. And they gave power to the image and they worshiped the image. And if they refused to worship the image, then they were put to death. Well, that's the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. But because according to Daniel 11.31, he was placed. According to Daniel 11.31, he was set up. Most people think the abomination of desolation is the Antichrist when he goes and stands in the holy place. But what that's referring to is when that image is placed in the holy place, that is the abomination of desolation. Let me give you another proof of that. Go to Mark 13.14. In the, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. Mark 13.14 Mark 13.14 We've got to know what the abomination of desolation is. Because according to Matthew 24.15 When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place whoso readeth at that, at that moment when you see the abomination of desolation that's your cue Christian to go to the mountains to don't go back home don't go grab anything don't do anything just flee. Because bad things are going to happen. Look at Matthew 13, 14. But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing where, do you see what the next word says? It ought not. That word it usually isn't referring to a person. It's referring to an object. Saying when you say when you see it standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Exactly like Matthew 24. Let's go back to Revelation 13. Look at verse 16. 
Revelation 13, look at verse 16. The Bible says, And He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark. And if you've got a King James Bible in your hand, your Bible will say, to receive a mark in their right hand, or in their forehead. Now, if you don't have a King James Bible in your hand, and you've got a piece of trash NIV, or ESV, or whatever translation, it's going to say, it doesn't, it doesn't use this word, in their right hand. It doesn't say that it's in their forehead, but it says that it's on their right hand, or on their forehead. You say, well, what's the reason for that? Well, people used to mock the King James Bible when it was translated back in 1611. Because they would say, the mark of the beast is not going to be inside of your hand. It's going to be on your hand. Because Keep, keep reading. Uh, look at verse 17. That no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that understandeth count the number of the beast. For it is the number of man. And his number is 600... Three score and six. So six hundred, three score, a score is twenty, so three score is sixty. You remember Abraham Lincoln four score and seven years ago? He's saying eighty-seven years ago. A score is twenty. So six hundred, that's six. Three score, which would be a sixty, and six. It's six, six, six. The Bible says that the number of the beast, the mark of the beast, is a number six, six. Six. The Bible also says this, that is, it is the number of man. Do you remember when we were in Genesis uh, 1 and 2? When was man created? On the sixth day. So, man was created on the sixth day. The number of man is six. And the number of the beast and the Antichrist is six, six, six. The Bible makes it very clear that if you don't receive the mark of the beast, uh, look at verse 17. That no man might buy or sell. Save he that hath the mark. So you can't go to a store. You can't purchase groceries. You can't buy anything. You can't sell anything. You can't do anything unless you've got that mark. But people used to mock the King James Bible and say, they made a mistake. You know, back in 1611, or back in 1700s, or 1800s, or even the early 1900s, the, the King James translators made a mistake. The, how is there, the mark is not going to be in their hand. The mark is going to be on their hand. Because they thought it was going to be a literal, you know, like a tattoo or something, like 666 on your hand or on your forehead. Now, you know, 400 and some odd years later, after the King James Bible was translated, now we see, hey, it is totally possible that the mark of the beast would be in their hand. I've got a dog sitting in the garage who's got a chip inside of him. Did you know that? And people can track a pet with a chip inside of their body. I, I think he's got a chip. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. He's just a devil dog. No, I'm just joking. But, you know, we've got the technology nowadays to be able to put a chip inside of a dog and be able to track him and keep all the information. And look, let me tell you something. We have the technology to put a chip in your hand, put a chip in your forehead that'll have all your technology. There's going to come a day when you go to the grocery store. You know, I, I was talking to... A very good friend of mine who uh, pastors a church in, in South Carolina, and, uh, and and he said, you know, there in their in their little town, uh, you go to the out of all stores, the Piggly Wiggly. I mean, does that just sound like uh, not an up to date store? The Piggly Wiggly. I mean, it just sounds like a bunch of hicks should go there. But at the Piggly Wiggly, you can go over there and, and you set up your account, and when you grab all your things, you go to the register, they scan your things, and then here's. I'm not joking. He said they do this at the Piggly Wiggly, South Carolina, backwards, you know, 
little town. You go up to the register, they scan your thumb, and they already have loaded to your fingerprint your account number, everything that you want to choose, and they, they deduct it from your account. You don't have to pay, you don't have to show any ID. They have the technology at the Piggly Wiggly <laughs> to be able to just scan your thumb. And look, I'm telling you, we have the technology today to be able to insert a chip in a person's hand and insert a chip in a, per- a person's forehead and not allow that person to be able to buy or sell. And let's just, let that be, you know, I, I try to take every opportunity that I can to just tell you that the King James Bible is the Word of God. Because you grab your piece of trash, other um, version of, made by any other denomination, and it's, it's more than likely going to say on their hand. You know, maybe, maybe now the newer ones that are coming out have seen, you know, now that it is a possibility, and they're like, oh, I guess we're wrong. Maybe they're saying in, but 16, from 1611, they knew it was in your hand, not on your hand. So that's, that's good there. But um, what I'm trying to show you is this. And I, I'm running out of time, but let's, let's go to Revelation uh, 19. Revelation 19. But let me just review. And like I said, I, I wish I had the time uh, to just show you every scripture. We could go to Daniel chapter 7 and just look at so many great things. And I, and I just don't have the time to develop it. But I want you to understand the biblical time frame. Okay? Bible says that a man is going to come who's going to conquer the entire earth. We will see that if we live. The Bible says that this man is going to receive a deadly wound and is going to be resurrected. And when he's resurrected, a false prophet, a religious leader, someone who's maybe looked up, you know, that the world looks up at, you know, Billy Graham. People call him the world's evangelist, America's evangelist, the world evangelist. Could be some heathen like Billy Graham. Could be some heathen like uh, Joel Osteen. Could be somebody like the Pope. Or somebody who's just got a religious influence over the entire world. That the entire world will listen to. But there's going to be some false prophet, some religious leader, who's going to come to the stage and say, Hey, that political leader, you know, Barack Obama. I'm just joking. I, honestly, I don't think Barack Obama's the Antichrist. I'm just joking. But he's going to look at this political leader and say, Yeah, that's funny. He's going to say... That's not just a man, that's God. And He's going to cause the entire earth to worship that beast. And He's going to perform miracles, He's going to cast, uh, cause fire to come down from heaven. They're going to erect an image, and they're going to place that image in, a temp- in the temple, in the holy place. And the Bible tells us, when that image, not, not the Antichrist, but that image, which is the abomination of desolation, when you see that image, He says, run to the mountain. Because immediately after he puts that image, he's declared God, he has built the city, and he has built a tower to unite the world. Then the Bible says that he's going to make war with the saints, and he's going to persecute the saints. We're not going to live through a tribulation because God won't pour on his wrath. It's not God pouring on his wrath, it's the beast. It's not God pouring out His wrath. It's this one world secular government that's going to eradicate Christianity and try to destroy Christianity. And when God finally does get fed up and raptures us out of this world, then it'll be God pouring out His wrath. And you can study, if you study the the seals that are open and the trumpets that are sound and the vials, and and one of these days, you know, uh, right now on Wednesday nights we're preaching through the book of John. One of these days we'll we'll be preaching through the book of Revelation and, and we'll be going through it on a weekly basis, so it'll be a lot easier, you know, we'll be able to take the time to develop it all. But if you study it out, 
First, the world attacks Christians. First, the beast attacks the world. Then God raptures Christians out, and then God begins to pour out His vows. See, because when, when, when the Antichrist is attacking Christians, He's killing them. He's putting, to, putting them to death. He's not able, they're not able to buy or sell. When God pours out His wrath after the rapture, it's, it's things like... The whole world is in darkness. You know, it's things like hail and fire. I mean, it's, it's bad things. And God doesn't pour out His wrath on Christians, but the tribulation is not the pouring out of God's wrath. According to Matthew 24, the tribulation is the Antichrist, the false prophet, the one world government, persecuting Christians. Okay, let's go to Matthew 19. Let's look at it quickly. He said, Pastor Manage, you got me scared. There's coming a one world government, there's coming a one world religion, there's coming a new world order. Well, look at Revelation 19. And after these things, Revelation 19, And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah. You know, I don't know if I want to start. No, it's fine, we'll start there. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servant at the hand. And, and um, this, is, this could be a different sermon in of itself. And again they said, Hallelujah! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders... Now keep, keep this in mind too. Ah oh man, this, I can develop, this, this is a, another point. The great whore... Is, is a religious entity and also a city, if you study that out. You know, he just got done destroying this, the city. So, you know, th- there's many parallels to the, to-, to the Tower of Babel there, but, but um, look at verse 3. And again he said, Hallelujah! And her smoke rose up forever and ever, and the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God! And ye... All ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, Clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. This is John. John is talking. He said he fell uh, to worship him. And the person he's worshiping said, uh, And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren, that have testimony of Jesus. So, John's confused. He sees a man. He thinks it's Jesus. He begins to worship him. And the guy's like, hey, look, look. I'm just one of your brothers. I'm of the testimony of Jesus, too. He says, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And look at verse 11. And I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he, had, he doth judge and make war. This is the true white horse. This is Jesus Christ. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So who is that? That's Jesus Christ. 
And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. That's us. Clothed in fine linen and white, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepresses of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he, he hath on his vesture and on his king a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of the captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and, the fle- and, and them that sit on the earth, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth. Now you've got to keep in mind, Jesus Christ is coming to, to earth now. The beast and the king of the earth are getting ready to fight against Jesus Christ. This is what's called the battle of Armageddon. He says, and I saw the beast. Because remember, Jesus Christ came down his white horse. We're with him. He says, the saints are with him, coming with him. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth. And their armies gathered together to make war against him. They're making, who's him? Jesus Christ. Who's him? Jehovah God. To make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken with him, the false prophet. This is the beast and the second beast. And it lets us know, the false prophet that wrought the miracles before him. Do you remember the second beast was the one who made fire to come down and he did all those miracles? With which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. So, with his miracles, he, received those, he deceived those people that received the mark of the beast because they were worshipping the, the, the Antichrist. I really hope I'm not confusing you. But keep reading. And then that worshipped his image. See? He's saying the, he made them to worship the image. And look, look at the last part of that verse. These both were cast alive to a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now I don't have time to go into this, but the Bible says that there is a hell in the center of the earth. And one day God is going to take that hell and He's going to put it into the lake of fire. The hell is going to be engulfed into the lake of fire. The lake of fire and hell are two different places. Hell is in the center of the earth. Hell is where every unsaved person goes when they die. But God is going to destroy the earth at the end of the world. So he's got to do something with hell. So he takes hell and he puts it in a second place, which is, becomes, which is known as the lake of fire, which hell and the lake of fire just become the same thing. But the f- first two people who get cast into the lake of fire is the beast and the false prophet at the battle of Armageddon. When the beast takes all the kings of the earth to fight against Jesus Christ, Jehovah God. And when Jesus Christ comes down, the Bible says that He's going to take the beast and the false prophet and He's going to cast them into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. You say, I'm worried about this one world government. I'm worried about this one world religion. I'm worried about the way our world is going. I'm worried. Look, you don't have to worry because at the end of the book, Jesus Christ comes out victorious. At the end of the book, Jesus Christ takes him, and it's not even a fight. I mean, it's kind of sad to me, because the Bible says that we're going to come with him, and, you know, I want to be part of that battle. And I want, you know, right now I don't want to be part of that battle, but hey, when I'm in my glorified body, hey, give me a sword, I want to do something. But for the most part, we're just going to watch, because the Bible says he's he's going to fight with the sword of his mouth. Jesus Christ is going to do all the fighting. He's going to pick up the beast. He's going to pick up the false prophet. And he's going to be like these two little mice in the mouth of the great lion, and he's going to cast them. Into, and here's what the Bible says, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, that's the rest of the army, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. 
So at the end of the story, Jesus Christ is victorious. At the end of the story, He takes the beast, He takes the false prophet, He takes the city they built and the tower they built. The one world government and the one world religion. And He casts them to the lake of fire. Let me, let me show you something. You say, why is this so important? Now, I don't know about you, but literally, this is, one of my, this is my favorite subject to study and preach about in the, in the Bible. I mean, I, I just have to cut out verse. I, I love studying just the rapture and all that. To me, it's just great encouragement. And, and I, I love uh, looking at these things. But here's why a study like this is important. Look at verse 20. I'll give you... This is a whole other sermon. Now we're, we're going into the millennial reign. The battle of Armageddon is over. But just look at it. We'll do it quickly, if you don't mind. The Bible says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the keys of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So you see there, an angel comes down, he takes Satan, he binds him a thousand years, is what the Bible says. And cast him into the bottomless pit, referring to hell, not the lake of fire, but hell. He cast, that's another reference for, for hell, the bottomless pit. Say, so why is it called the bottomless pit? Well, hell is in the center of the earth. And, you know, I'm not a scientist, I don't know how it all works, but we're told that if you were just in the center of the earth, like if, let's say there was a cave in the center of the earth, because it's literally in the center of the earth, you would feel as if you're falling the whole time. But you never hit the ground, because you're just in the center. You're just kind of floating, but you feel like you're falling. That's why the Bible refers to it as the bottomless pit. Because he feels like he gets thrown into a pit that he just has no bottom, because he's just constantly just falling. It says, He was cast into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must lose should be loosed in little season. So try to just follow what's going on. Battle of Armageddon just happened. Jesus Christ just defeated the beast and the false prophet, cast him into the bottomless pit. Uh, I'm sorry, cast him into the lake of fire. The angel came down, grabbed Satan, cast him into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, is what the Bible says. Look at verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus... And for the word of God, in which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or on their hands, and they will live and reign with Christ a thousand years. This is what's known as the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Now let me just give you this too. You know, most Baptists say, we're not, Christians aren't going to the tribulation. Then I've got to ask this question. If Christians are getting raptured for the tribulation, who are the saints that are, getting, that are, that are being persecuted? Who are the Christians that are being beheaded? Well, this is what they say. Well, those are people that are getting saved after tribulation. Well, according to the Bible, no one who isn't already saved. It says that everyone worshipped the devil. Everyone worshipped the beast. The only people who didn't worship were those who didn't have, who, or those who had their name written in the, in the... So there's no... If you take all the Christians away, there's no other... There's no one left because everyone is going to be deceived. Everybody's going to worship the beast. The Bible makes it clear that everybody worshipped the beast of those whose names were not written. So there's no one getting saved after the tribulation. They're all being deceived. The Bible's clear about that. So who's getting their heads beheaded? It was Christians. We're going to the tribulation. I love Jack Howell, but he preached a sermon saying, you know, don't worry about it, brother. The, the rapture happens before tribulation. I'm sorry, but that's wrong. There are, there are some people getting their heads cut off, and it's not people realizing that Christianity was strapped to tribulation. Everyone who's not saved once the tribulation starts is going to be deceived. That's what the Bible says. It says it in Revelation. It says it in, in many other places. But now we see here the battle of Armageddon, the, the beast of false prophet cast in the lake of fire, the Satan himself, himself is cast into the bottom of the spit, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. 
Satan was cast into the bottomless pit, if you remember, for a thousand years. Then begins the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, where we'll live and reign with Him for Jesus Christ. At this point, we have what's known as the judgment seat of Christ, where every Christian is rewarded for the works that were done in his body. And we're given authority and we're given um, kingdoms to rule over as, as a gift from God, as a reward for the work that we did for Him. Look at verse 5. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is He that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, when the millennial reign of Jesus Christ is over, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. You see that? Satan comes out of hell. I'm sorry I'm taking so long. But just, just, let's do this, let's just, just pay, pay attention because this is really important. Satan is loosed from his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of sea. So the millennial reign of Jesus Christ has, has, is over. He's reigned for a thousand years. Je- Satan is... is, is Loose from his prison, and he goes out into the world. I don't have time to go into it, but during the millennial reign of Christ, there are unsaved people who are living with us, and we are ruling and reigning over them. <laughs> you know, the unsaved people, people who live through the tribulation, people who, and you can read about in Isaiah and different places all about that. But but there are some people that after a thousand years, they're fed up with God's government. Just like now, just like the flood, people are just fed up with God. And they're ready to just fight God again. Because remember, the battle of Armageddon, a thousand years have passed by. And they're just ready to fight against Him again. So the Bible says that, that Satan, and when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog. Now, that's very important, because people think, you, you read all, you know, people sell these books, Gog and Magog are Russia, and Gog and Magog are China. And look, Gog and Magog are countries that don't exist right now. They are countries that are in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, after the Armageddon and all that. And it's actually very important that you take note of that, because in Genesis chapter number 10, we, we skipped through uh, Genesis 10, and went to Genesis 11, where the Tower of Babel is, but in Genesis 10, it, uh, it, it, get, it gives us, it talks about Magog, who is a descendant of, of Noah. And, and Magog is referred to in Ezekiel in different places. A whole different other sermon, but just take note of that. Look at verse 9. And when they went up on the breadth of the earth, and compassed the camp of the saints... So, they've surrounded where all the saints are living, because they want to fight one last time against God. They come past the, the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So, they come to fight God, and God just has fire come down from heaven and devours them. Look at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. Remember, before the millennial reign, he was cast into the bottomless pit. After the millennial reign... That last battle, he's cast into the lake of fire. Do you see that? And look what the Bible says. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Where the be- Look what it says. Where the beast and the false prophet... Do you see what the next word is? It says, are. And shall be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Amen. Now just follow the logic. A thousand years ago, the beast and the false prophet, at the battle of Armageddon, tried to fight against Jesus Christ. The Lion of Judah took those little rats and cast them into a lake of fire. And the Bible says that a thousand years later, Satan is cast into a lake of fire when he tries to give one last fight against God after the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says when, Jesus, when Satan is cast into a lake of fire, the Bible says that the beast and the false prophet, present tense, are. They're still there. It says, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. 
You say, why is that so important? Because that is the purpose of Christianity. If, if you understand, look, you can take that verse and tell the Jehovah's Witness to put that in their pipe and smoke it. Because the Jehovah's Witness will tell you that, hey, you go to hell and you just burn up and you just die. You go to hell and you just, there, there's, there's nothing. You just get destroyed. The lake of fire is referring to the grave. It's well, look, according to the Bible, the beast and the false prophet, who are two men, were cast into the lake of fire um, alive, is what the Bible says. And a thousand years later, they're still there. A thousand years later, they're still burning. A thousand years later, they're still tormented. A thousand years later, they're still in pain and suffering. Let me tell you something. This book is true, and Christianity is true, and there is a place. You say, why do we need to study all this prophecy? Why do we need to study about the rapture, and the beast, and the false prophet, and all these things? Because I'm telling you something, there's coming a day when God is going to judge this earth, and those who are trying to build a tower to get to heaven, and work their way to heaven, and work their, and be good enough to go to heaven, they're going to go to the lake of fire. And that's why Verity Baptist Church is so important. Because we've got to study the Bible and know the Bible so that we can go out and do that. That is the most important thing. And get people saved. And tell people that, hey, there's a lake of fire. Hey, there is a fire and brimstone. Hey, it's not your good works. Hey, you can't build a city. Hey, you can't build a tower. Hey, you're, you can't build a good enough life to go to heaven. You can't be a good enough person. You can't help enough people. You can't give to enough charities. You can't reform your life or change your life. Christianity is not the fact that you decided to go to church. Christianity is the fact that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that people are going to go to hell. And the beasts of the false prophets, they are there. And look at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face of the earth, the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead and small, great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened. And the dead were judged out of these things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And the death and hell were delivered up, the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into a lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into a lake of fire. The Bible says that after the millennial reign, after the last attack of Satan, the beast gets thrown into the... Lake of fire, the false prophet gets thrown into the lake of fire. A thousand years later, Satan gets cast into the lake of fire. And then immediately after that, we have what's called the great white throne judgment. And every unbeliever is resurrected. They stand before God. They're judged after their works. You say, why are they judged after their works? I thought that salvation was what you believe. Salvation is what you believe. I will never be judged as for my works. But if I decide to pursue a religion that tells me that I've got to be a good person, that I've got to, you know, confess my sins to a man, that I've got to get baptized, that I've got to, you know, give money to charity, that I've got to try to be a good person, God says, hey, if you want to be judged by your works, I'll judge you by your works. The Bible says that the great white throne judgment, they were judged by their works, but here's the problem, they were all found wanting. And no one, the Bible says in the book of Romans, that every mouth will be stopped, and no one will be able to argue with God. And God, and, and people are going to come up, come up to God and say, God, I, I went to church, and, 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 and Matthew talks about these people that they stand for God. And he said, did we not prophesy in your name? Did, in your name, did we not do so many mighty works? And God looks at them and says, I never knew you. See, but, but, I, but I, I've asked for a church, and I went to church, and I gave money, and I did good things. And God says, I know, I'm judging you by your works, and there is none righteous, no, no one. There is none that doeth good. You are a sinner. But I did so many good things, you're still a sinner. And when He judges them by their works, they're all cast. And verse 14 says, And death and hell were cast into lake fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into lake of fire. Let me tell you something. We can study all the prophecy we want, and I love it. 
We can look at all the different scriptures and we can compare Daniel with Matthew and Mark and Luke and Revelation and look at all the different things and we can see how, how the Tower of Babel, they were trying to build a city which represented a government. They were trying to build a tower which represented a religion. And later on, one day, there's going to be an Antichrist who built a city and who built a tower. And we can look at all the little neat things and nice things like them. If we let people die and go to hell, it's in vain. If we don't go out and preach the gospel, it's in vain. Because the purpose of the prophecy, the purpose of Revelation, the purpose of Daniel, the purpose of Genesis, the purpose of the Word of God is this, to get people saved. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Why did He come? To seek and to save that which was lost. That is the purpose. And we must keep a fresh mind and understand that one day there's coming a great white throne. One day there's coming a city that is going to be built. One day there's coming a tower that is going to unite the world. And if those people aren't saved, if, the, if those people aren't one to Christ, if those people's names are not in the book of life, they're going to be deceived. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much.